we practice grace giving. Some people call it faith promise. I like to call it the grace of giving in our church for missions. You can use it for whatever the Lord leads the pastor to lead you in. And when we transitioned, the church was taking very good care of us. Well, I went from a certain figure to zero. I was off the payroll. I have no thrift pan. I have no savings. And that's my fault. I opted out of Social Security when I was 18. And boy, the don't you think the devil didn't remind me of all that. <clears throat> And once again, Johnny came to me, the voice of reason. And Mark, you can't give what you've been given. You just can't do that. I said, I know I can't and you can't, but the problem is, sweetheart, is it's not up to you and me. It's up to him. And not only has the Lord enabled me to give what I was given when I transitioned, he's raised it every year. And I found this out. The more you give, the more God gives back. <coughs> so this is, I don't have the coronavirus, don't worry. <coughs> it's not about money. This is about ministry. I want to somewhat further, <coughs> let me get this little furball out of my throat. What further what I started last night talking about this matter of the church's mission our mission statement why the Lord's left us here that is to get the gospel out now if the Lord would have wanted to <coughs> wow <coughs> if the Lord would have so desired <coughs> I'll get it Somebody want to just bring me a taste of water? <coughs> just dip the tip of your finger in water <laughs> and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this whatever. <coughs> if the Lord would have wanted to, he could have put the gospel in the sky. He could have painted it in the clouds. Thank you, brother. He could have put it in the song of the birds. He could have put it on the wind. Y'all don't worry, I'm going to try not to spill this. I said, what'd you put it there for then? <clears throat> but you know what the Bible says? The Lord chose the foolishness of preaching. God chose for you and I to take the gospel to people so that all men could hear the gospel. So that all men would have, and women and boys and girls, would have the chance to repent of their sin and trust Christ, to be saved by the grace of God. That's God's plan. That's God's way. That's what God chose. And last night, I hope we were able to drive it home and that is this idea and this thought that we need to be about our Father's business. And the ultimate end, dearly beloved, of evangelism is the salvation of souls. So I want to go that direction tonight. I want you to look first of all at an introductory verse and then we'll move on to the text. 
But in Acts 15 and 3, Acts <coughs> chapter 15 and verse number 3. If you have an old Schofield Bible, that's page 1169. And being brought on their way, it's talking about Paul and Barnabas, they'd gone on their first missionary journey, they're coming back to Jerusalem now, and I want you to notice uh, what it says here. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring, and listen to this next word, it's a word we've lost in our Christian vocabulary, our verbiage. It's the word conversion. Declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. I love that word conversion. We don't need to take the preacher's pen knife and cut it out. We need to explain it. We need to define it. And we need to preach it. Because if you're here tonight, dearly beloved, and if you've been saved by the grace of God, this is what happened to you. You were converted. And really, we can sum it all up by saying this. The word conversion just simply means to be changed. To be changed. And boy, the Bible, and I don't have time to go through all the verses, but the Bible declares this over and over again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There is a change that takes place. And if your life never changed, you didn't get saved. Now, I'll clarify that in a moment. Understand this change is in three stages. Number one, dearly beloved, there is the Change that justification brings. That is the initial change. That's more positional in nature. We're no longer children of the devil. We're now children of God. We sit together positionally in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's called justification. That's not how I see myself. That's how God sees me. And I love what one theologian of yesteryear said. Justification means that God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. Boy, what a beautiful truth that is. Secondly, dearly beloved, there's a continual change. That's sanctification. Sanctification isn't your salvation. It's the product of your salvation. We know that, dearly beloved, because in Philippians 2 it said, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is the preordained purpose of God that we be conformed to the image of His Son. And on a daily basis, He's changing us. We're not perfect. And we'll never know the ultimate change till we get to glory. And I love that verse in 1 John chapter 3, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, in this process of sanctification, sometimes we take some steps back. 
Sometimes we falter and fail and fall on our faces. Sometimes we backslide. But in the grand scheme of things, if you've ever been justified, you're going to be sanctified. One proof of your salvation is you can't walk away from God without God coming after you. If you belong to him, friend, he's going to come to where you are. Just wait till you get to heaven and ask Simon Peter about that. That's called sanctification. So this word conversion means change. I, I have been changed initially by the means of justification. I am being changed continually by the means of sanctification. And then I shall be changed eternally by the means of glorification. When I get to heaven, and I love what Paul said, and I'm going to repeat President Trump again in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm a little bit ornery, I know. Sometimes I say that stuff just to aggravate people. I love aggravating liberals. Forgive me. I really don't give a rip what they think. <laughs> but I love what Paul said in that chapter. This mortal shall put on immortality. He's talking about our soul. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not your body that sins. It's your soul that sins. This corruption, talking about this bald head, Shall put on incorruption. We're going to be changed. We're going to be changed finally. We're going to be changed eternally. And that's called glorification. And all three of these phases constitute the definition of being converted. Now, one of the stories of conversion, Paul said he went to Jerusalem. It said Paul went to Jerusalem, he and Barnabas, and they recounted the stories of conversions. The conversion of the Gentiles, which many of the Jews, like Simon Peter, never believed that would happen. Simon Peter had to get him a little attitude, no adjustment. That happened down in Joppa, the house of Simon the Tanner. But one of those stories is the conversion, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. The beauty of it is not only did the Philippian jailer get saved, but Ms. Philippian jailer got saved. And all the little Philippian jailers got saved. <laughs> the whole family got saved, converted by the grace of God. That's where I want to dwell my thoughts tonight over in Acts 16. I'm not going to read the text tonight for the sake of time, but I'm going to take three approaches to this text. The title of this message is this, Contribution to Conversion. And I want to magnify, dearly beloved, three different contributions to conversion that I believe you'll find in 
any conversion experience. And I use the word conversion because that is a Bible word. We've already explained it. But if you've been saved by the grace of God tonight, there were no less than three contributing factors that were involved. I think you'll see from this passage tonight, number one, a saintly conversion. A saintly conversion. It is evident from this passage in Acts 16, verse number 25, all the way down to verse number 34, that God used the saints, the apostle Paul and Silas, to contribute, to play a part in the ultimate salvation of this jailer and his family. And I think if you'll think back with me now, just think now, think If you'll think back with me now, all of us can think of somebody, some saint of God that God used, that he put in our path. Maybe they gave us a track. Maybe they sat down and witnessed to us. Maybe they worked next to us and lived for Jesus. Maybe we saw it on the television screen or heard it on the radio. But some saint of God that God used, dearly beloved, as a contributing factor to your ultimate conversion. And can I say this evening, therefore, that in any conversion experience, there is usually a saintly contribution. And that goes back to what I was saying last night. Let me just say this this evening. We're doing one or two things as a believer when it comes to a lost and dying world and people that are watching us. We're either being stumbling blocks that they trip over or we're being stepping stones that they step up to Him. What are you tonight? Are you a stumbling block? Has carnality invaded your life? Have you lost your hunger and thirst for God? Have you lost your desire for God and sin is beginning to surface in your life and a lost and dying world is looking at you and saying, if that's what a Christian is, I'm already better than that. They hear bad words come out of your mouth or the wrong kind of jokes. They see displays of temper and other things that happen when we begin to move away from the throne room of grace. You may walk away from God, but He'll never walk away from you. No matter where you go, He'll come to you. He'll come to you and He'll appeal to you. And if you don't listen to Him, friend, He'll deal with you as with a child. (coughs) But almost always, Usually, in any conversion experience, there is a saintly contribution. Number two, get through fast tonight. Don't bet on it. Number two, there's always a sovereign contribution in any conversion experience. There may not be a saint around or a saint in your presence, but let me tell you who's always there when a sinner gets converted. God is there. 
He may be standing in the shadows. He may be kneeling beneath the surface, but you can mark it down. You and I wouldn't even want to be saved. We wouldn't even want God if God wasn't making overtures towards us and, and drawing upon us and speaking to us. To God be the glory for the day. He came my way. I'm going to sing now. This coronavirus starts coming out of me. He came to me. He came to me. I don't even know why I started that. I can't even go any higher than that. So I won't sing. Truth is, I didn't come to him. He came to me first. In any relationship, there's always one of them that makes the first move. I always told my wife, I said, it was you. You proposed to me. No, it didn't happen that way. But I'm going to tell you, in this marriage to Jesus, it, it wasn't you and I. It was Him. It's not that we love God, John said, but that He loved us and gave Himself for us to be the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Listen to this verse in John chapter 12 and verse 32. He said, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That's the job of the preacher. Charles Spurgeon said, preacher, if you get lost in your sermon, go to the cross. Run to the cross and preach Jesus because he's always relevant. What about John chapter 6, verse 44? Jesus said this, No man can come unto me except the Father draweth him. What did Paul say in that great chapter on the doctrine of the depravity of man? In Romans chapter 3, Paul said this, No man seeketh after God. No man understandeth. They are all together gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. I'm here to tell you that magnifies the grace of God tonight. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. I didn't come after him. He came after me. To God be the glory. And while there's usually a saintly contribution in this matter of conversion. There's always a sovereign contribution in this matter of conversion. The last thing, the third thing is this. There must be a scriptural contribution in any conversion experience. You can get saved without a church building. You can get saved without a preacher. You can get saved without a religious institution. You can get saved without a TV or a radio broadcast. You can get saved, my friend, without an association at work. But let me tell you what you can't get saved without, and that's hearing the Word of God. 
No man, no woman, no boy, no girl ever got saved without hearing the Word of God. To that end, Paul in Romans 10, that great chapter on the doctrine of salvation, Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 10 concerning that word of faith that's in our mouth, even upon our tongue. He tells us that comes from the word of God because he says in 10 and 17 of that chapter, he says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You mark it down. That's why we need to take it to the world. That's why we need to preach it in the highways and the byways and hedges. Nobody will ever get saved without hearing the Bible. It is the Bible that saves, the Bible that transforms. It is the power of the Word of God. No wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the word power there is the word dynamus. It's where we get the English word dynamite. And what it means is it possesses the power to radically rearrange, cataclysmically change the topography of your life. It'll change you. It'll convert you. <laughs> Some people say that this old time religion is just a thing of the past. I got a saying on my heart but in this modern age that we're living it's the only thing that will last now you may think I'm a little old fashioned but friend that's all right with me but I'm so glad that I am a Christian and from sin I have been set free I know I know there's no doubt about it. He's real in my heart and I'm going to shout it. I know, I know my sins are forgiven. And I'm on my way to a place that's called heaven. Do you know tonight? I mean, do you know tonight? Do you know that you know that you know down in your heart of hearts is there not a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Let me cover the territory and I'm done. What about this saintly contribution? Well, we're talking about Paul and Silas. There's two contributing factors here to this saintly contribution. Number one, their walk, the way they live their life. Number two, their words, the way they lived the Scripture. On both accounts, dearly beloved, everything about these saints of God contributed to the conversion of this Philippian jailer. Let's examine Paul's walk first of all. I want you to see this with me. In these verses here, in verse 25, I want you to see first of all, dearly beloved, that they learned, or excuse me, they prayed at a difficult time. When it was hard, when it was tough. They didn't call David Gibbs. 
I'm not mocking that and making fun of that. I'm just saying there was no lawyers. There was no courts to get them out of jail. So instead of getting them out of jail, God came into the jail. This is the only time in history where a jailbreak took place, not for the prisoners to get out, but for the jailer to get in. Woo! <laughs> Would to God there'd be a jailbreak in here tonight. God break into the jail of your heart and jail of your soul and not for you to get out, but for Him to get in. Amen? Open your heart and let Him come in tonight. They prayed at a dark time, or excuse me, a difficult time. In verse number 23 and 24, look what it says. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, that means they didn't take up a love offering for them. They didn't make any hotel reservations. They didn't call Paul's protocol department and schedule him the next year. It says they cast them into prison. First they beat them, then they cast them into prison. And verse 24 says it was the inner prison. It's akin to solitary confinement. No bread, no water, no people. All by themselves. And all they were guilty of was loving Jesus Christ and loving the souls of men. We may not be very far from that in America tonight. I believe we're going to feel the birth pains of the tribulation period. And tribulation and persecution is coming our way. We're about to find out who's really real and who isn't. Never in the history of this great land has it ever really cost us much to come to Christ? Here they are at a difficult time, and what are they doing? They're not complaining. They're not asking for legal counsel. The Bible says in verse number 25, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed. They prayed. Are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. They not only prayed at a difficult time, but they praised at a dark time. It was midnight. It was the darkest hour of the day. And what are they doing? They're singing, For a long time I traveled down a long lowly road. Help me, Silas. My heart was so heavy. In sin I sank low, but then I heard about Jesus. What a wonderful hour. I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out through his saving power. But you're in jail, Paul. No, sir. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. See, my voice is torturing some of you, so I'll stop right there. (laughs) Then I'll just be like everybody else when I do that. 
They're praying at a difficult time. They're praising at a dark time. They had peace. Listen now. They had peace at a dangerous time. An earthquake came in there. You know when the Philippian jailer looked around and saw all the chains broken and the doors open? It scared him half to death. He had no peace to him. He called for a sword. He was going to kill himself. Supposing the prisoners had escaped. You know why? It was a capital offense in the Roman culture for a jailer to lose a prisoner. And it demanded their death. Some have wondered when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whether he was talking about his skin or his soul. But you know what I say to that, Tim? I don't know. I don't know what was going on in his mind, but I'll tell you what happened. Not only did his soul got saved, but his sin got saved too. <laughs> he not only got born again and converted, but he lived through that. Here they are at a dangerous time. The earthquake takes place. The jail doors open. The foundations of the prison were shaking. Paul's standing there and said, hey, put that sword away. We're all here. I'm not a one of us wanting to get out. We're just wanting you to get in. Just come on and get in. I'm going to tell you something. That's what the world needs to see in Christians. And right now, we're really about to be tried. Right now, we've never had a better opportunity to stand up for Jesus and shine out like lights in this world like we're about to have in America right now. And brother, when the world is at its worst, it needs to see the church at its best. But not only their witness, but their words. Their words. Faith does come by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Look at verse number 30. Look what it says. It says, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And listen to what he said. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a, theolo a theology lesson here and it's free. A lot of the Pentecostals, they think that Acts 2 and 38... He's talking about water baptism. And it is. But he's not talking about for salvation. So some of them will say, you, you, have to, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There could be nothing further from the truth. And people that tell you that have no understanding whatsoever of Acts 2.38. Let me tell you why. In Acts 2 and 38, Peter just preached on the resurrection and they didn't ask him. Those men didn't ask him what they needed to do to be saved. They said, what do we need to do from right here, preacher? And he not only told them how to be saved, but he told them how to follow the Lord. But in this case, where Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved? Like they did not ask in Acts chapter 2. Paul didn't say a word about baptism. He said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Our speech needs to be seasoned with salt. Our children are listening to us. People that work with us are listening to us. People that walk with us are listening to us. And our words can be the difference between a stepping stone and a stumbling block. And so in this saintly contribution, there, are our, there is our walk. And there is our words that can either stumble 
or be a stepping stone for people who need to be converted. Number two, the sovereign contribution. Preacher, I just don't see God here. It's kind of like the book of Esther. Did you know the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that the name God is not mentioned anywhere? And yet when you read that book, his fingerprints and his footprints are all over it. And it's the same way here, dearly beloved. We don't see God as far as his person or his spirit, but oh, I want you to know, standing in the shadow of the circumstances and what is collectively going on here, God is right in the middle of it. Who controls this world and this creation? Who sends the rain on the just and the unjust? As I laid back there in that trailer last night and I laid down and listened to that wind, I thought of that song. There's peace in the midst of the storm as though the Spirit of God said to me, rest on, son. Listen to that wind. You're hearing the voice of God. Jesus said it well. He said, you hear the wind and it blows. It listeth and you know if not wherefore it comes. But it is the voice of God. It is the essence of God. God created the wind. God put the song in the birds. God put the color in the flowers and blended their hue. God put the green in the grass. God put the neigh in the horse and the moo in the cow. God created all these things. They're all at His disposal. And right in the middle of this conversion experience, God sticks His foot in. Look what it says in verse 26. This is amazing to me. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Who was that? Did that just happen? Oh, I know what happened. There was too many greenhouse gases that were emitting into the atmosphere. And as a result of that, the earth began to take in some of those greenhouse gases and it loosened up said soil and so the earth began to shift and move. I'd like to say to that crazy crowd, yeah, I said it. I didn't stutter. You heard what I said. I said crazy. You know, to believe what they believe, you have to deny the existence of God. I want you to know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He doesn't know D. Joe Biden, Donald Trump. He doesn't need the Congress's help. He doesn't need any legislation. When he made Adam, my friend, he made him a full man. And when he made the earth, he impregnated it with his very existence. And I want you to know it's not going to run out no matter what man does. God put enough in it, dearly beloved. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness that of. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Congress. <laughs> to believe that stuff, you have to not even believe in the existence of God. That there is not an almighty God who oversees this creation. He needs our help. And if we don't do something, something's going to happen. 
I got news for you. I don't see any magic wands and I don't see any magic dust in there all of a sudden, suddenly, out of nowhere. And it's not for judgment this time. Some time God does send it for judgment. No, but it's to get somebody's attention. It is to take the foundations out from under the feet of this jailer and let him know Rome can't save him. The God of Paul and the God of Silas can save him. God reached in there and he probably put one finger on the nostril and blew out the other. That's what he's going to do to this crowd one day. God, help me. Help me stay under control, Lord. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, will you just let me carry out a little judgment right now? No, it's not my place nor yours. But what happened? All of a sudden, God infused himself and injected his hand and his presence into this situation and a great earthquake took place. What does that tell us? Number one, it tells us that God is just simply in control. I, I want you to see two things God's controlling here in the conversion experience of this jailer and his family. And I want you to see those same two things God used to bring you to the place of conversion. Number one, that God used or God was sovereign in the timing of this earthquake. In the timing of these circumstances. Do you, you know, this is this... Paul was in jail for well over 24 hours. Do you think this man worked a 24-hour shift? Do you think it's just by accident that here's a man who God is dealing with and speaking to that, that just by chance he ended up in that jail when Paul was there? Accident. No, God's in control of the timing of the circumstances. Like a great chess master, God is moving the pieces and God is sovereignly moving you and someone else where our paths comply, uh, where our paths cross, where we can hear about Jesus, where we can see Christ in somebody, where we can see the Lord in somebody's life and it draws us to Him. It shakes us to the very being of our soul. As I've told you, there's always a sovereign contribution to conversion. No matter who it is, God is there. He's in the midst of those circumstances, and He's working things. He's working things. He is creating circumstances. He is affecting people and places and paths to bring a convergence of persons and personalities in order that that person might only hear about Jesus, but they might see Jesus in somebody's life. That's why we need to get serious about evangelism and realize that we can't take Monday through Saturday off. We don't come here and get an infusion of spiritual juice and then walk out that door and do as we want. There's sinners that are watching us. God wants to use us in His grand scheme of things to put us in their path in order that they might see a gospel witness and hear the Word of God. God is in control 
of the timing of these circumstances. It's not an accident that when Paul and Silas went in jail, this man was on duty. You stop and think about it. When you got saved, you think of the sovereign circumstances, and I'm no Calvinist folk. Don't be afraid of the word sovereign. He is sovereign. He is God. But you think of the times where God literally went away, took you around the world to cross the block and God put you in certain places where somebody would cross your path and tell you about Christ. He put you in certain places and at certain times where you would converge with the mortality of your own soul. And hear the message of the gospel and be saved. But he's not only in control of the timing of these circumstances, he's in control of the trembling of these circumstances. Who set this earthquake off? You know, you need to be careful complaining about the weather. Who sent that wind last night? The devil? I don't think so. Who sent that rain that filled that baseball field up? Made it look like a pond out there about 7 o'clock this morning. The devil? I don't think so. I don't think it was the Lodi Fire Department. Or the Stockton Public Works. No, it was our Heavenly Father. It was our God and it was Him that sent this earthquake. Not only in the timing of this man's conversion, but in the trembling of his soul to take out the foundation that he was standing on to shake him loose from anything and everything that he depended on. To bring him to a place of repentance and brokenness. John Newton, he wrote the universal anthem of Christianity. I somehow think when we get to glory, we see Jesus, we're going to say, when we've been here 10,000 years. Oh, my. Newton says in his testimony, he was a God-cussing sailor. Every other word that came out of his mouth was a curse word. But look at sovereignty. Look at timing. Count Zinzendorf had taught those Moravian believers how to pray. They had been praying for revival. Revival came to Germany. And as a result, dearly beloved, missions began to spread those Moravian believers crossed the Atlantic Ocean, went into the Caribbean area and started churches and saw churches started and people saved in the Caribbean islands. Newton was one of those sailors that was responsible for carrying those Moravians across. And he said, in the worst of the storms, storms that would shudder a man's soul to his very foundation, he said those Moravians would start singing gospel songs. He said those Moravians would start praising God. He said it made him mad because he didn't have the peace they did. He said all of a sudden a wave came into that ship and licked John Newton out of that boat. And no sooner than he did, another wave threw him back in. And it wasn't too long after that, John Newton repented of his sin and trusted Christ. And tonight we have amazing grace. How sweet the sound because of a sovereign God that invades time and space to work in our lives and hearts. I'll be done with this. 
then you may never have to put up with me again. Y'all forgive me. I only know one way, and that's to give it everything I got. It's not only a saintly contribution. There's not only a sovereign contribution here, but there's a scriptural contribution. Look what it says. If you will, look what it says in verse number 32. Look at this. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. They preached Jesus to Paul was very good at going back into the Old Testament and showing Christ from Genesis 1-1 to John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us as we held His glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But let me just magnify for a moment this scriptural contribution. First of all, a sinner needs to hear the preaching of scripture. It says, they spake unto him the word of God, the word of the Lord. You don't have to be a theologian. All you have to do is tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. If you study Paul's life, you see constantly everywhere he went, he started talking about what happened to him on straight street. He got straightened out on the road to Damascus. But they preached unto them the word of the Lord. If a sinner is going to get converted, there must be the scriptural contribution of the preaching of the word of God. That's why you don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. We live in a world that's not ashamed of transgenderism and homosexuality. We live in a world that's not ashamed of the murderous practice of abortion. Why should I be ashamed of Jesus, the one who loved me and died for me and gave his life for me? Say it over hill and dale. Preach it. Tell it. But not only in this scriptural contribution do we see the preaching of the scripture, but we see the prompting of the scripture. What is the command here? It is believe. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's none other name under heaven, by the way, given among men whereby we must be saved. And what is his name? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's sovereign, he's son, and he's savior. When you get saved, you don't need a co-pilot and God doesn't need one either. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart. And when you get saved, it's because of the substitutionary death of the Son of God. And when he comes in, he's the anointed one in heaven, anointed of God. Chosen before the foundation of this world to save you. Every once in a while I'll hear that song, Just Suppose, and I'm glad they say just suppose. God searched through heaven. I'm glad they said just suppose, 
because that's about all it is, is a supposition, because there was never any debate and there was never any search. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The preaching of Scripture, the prompting of Scripture, the promise of Scripture. What did he tell him? And thou shalt be saved. And thou shalt be saved. And thy house. You know, it doesn't mean if a man gets saved, his house is going to get saved. But what it does mean, if a man's house is ever going to get saved, a good place to start is with him. Daddies, you need to be the spiritual leaders of your home. God bless your spiritual wife. And I thank God for spiritual women. And I thank God for the way they galvanize a Christian home. But daddy needs to get them up and take them to church. Daddy needs to lead them in devotions. Daddy needs to lead them and show them how to live for God. Amen, Brother Mark. then there is the possibility of Scripture. That is, not only will you be saved, but it's possible your whole house will get saved. It may be your neighbor, your mother, your father. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. I'm glad I've been saved. I'm glad I've been converted. I'm glad I've been justified. I'm being sanctified and I shall be glorified. I'm glad for the change that took place, has taken place, and shall take place. But as I look back over the landscape of time, I see the saintly contribution of my mother, my father. I see the saintly contribution of the saints of the Parkwood Baptist Church. You know, the church I pastored for 31 years, my daddy pastored for 22 years. Many of the men I pastored taught me in Sunday school, and I buried a lot of them, Luke. I didn't know all that was going to happen that way. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the saints that made a contribution. I'm grateful for the sovereign that made a contribution. I'm grateful for the way God reached out in time and space and circumstances and caused my circumstances to cross with people and paths and places. It put me slap dab in the middle of a prayer meeting or a gospel truth. And thank God I was raised around this book. I had a mom and daddy that believed it. They taught the book to me. They walked the book in front of me. Are you saved tonight? Have you ever been converted? Has there ever been an initial change that's taken place in your life? If there has been, then there's this continual change that's going on too. But maybe tonight you've preempted that. Maybe there's something in your life that's standing in the way. Maybe that continual change has been shorted out by your disobedience. But I'm glad to tell you, if you ever have been saved, you'll always be saved. I believe in the security of the believer. I don't believe you can lose anything by what you do when you can only get it by what he did. And the Bible declares that. With our heads bowed and eyes closed.